ನಿರಂಜನಂ ನಿತ್ಯಂ ಅನಂತರೂಪಂ ಭಕ್ತಾನುಕಂಪಾಧೃತವಿಗ್ರಹಂ ವೈ ಈಶಾವತಾರಂ ಪರಮೇಶಮಿಡ್ಯಂ ತಂ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಶಿರಸ ನಮ ಜನನಿ ಸಾರದಾಂಬೇವಿ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಪಾದಪದ್ಮೇತೃಣಮಿ ಮುಹೂರ್ಮುಹು ನಮಸ್ತಿರಾಜಾ ವಿವೇಕಾನಂದಸೂರೈ ಸಚ್ಚಿದ್ಸುಖಸ್ವೂಪಾ ಸ್ವಾಮಿಪಹಾರಿಣಿ ಇನ್ ದ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಕ್ಲಾಸ್ ವೈಲ್ ಕಂಟಿನ್ಯೂಯಿಂಗ್ ವಿತ್ ಅವರ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿ ಆಫ್ ದ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ವಿವೇಕಾನಂದಸ್ ಕರ್ಮ ಯೋಗ ದ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ದ ಸೀಕ್ರೆಟ್ ಆಫ್ ವರ್ಕ್ ವಿ ವೇರ್ ವಿ ಟುಕ್ ದ ಎಂಟೈರ್ ಕ್ಲಾಸ್ ಫಾರ್ ದ ಡಿಸ್ಕಷನ್ ಆನ್ ದ ಟಾಪಿಕ್ ದಟ್ ಸ್ವಾಮೀಜಿ ಇಸ್ ಸೇಯಿಂಗ್ ದಟ್ ಫಸ್ಟ್ ವಿ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಟು ಟ್ರೈ ಟು ಗೆಟ್ ರೀಡ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಈವಿಲ್ ಇನ್ ಅವರ್ ಲೈಫ್ ಬೈ ದ ಪರ್ಸಿಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಗುಡ್ ಗುಡ್ನೆಸ್ ಬಟ್ ಅಟ್ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ವಿ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಟು ರಿನೌನ್ಸ್ ಬೋತ್ ದ ಗುಡ್ನೆಸ್ ಆಸ್ ವೆಲ್ ಆಸ್ ದ ಈವಿಲ್ the evil and the goodness both has to be renounced so that we can get established in our spiritual nature so in the last class uh, we were discussing it uh, in uh, details uh, so we saw that we neither owe the good nor the evil it's not the question of running away it's not the question of running away from good and evil seeing that even the goodness is not unadulterated pure goodness that we are running away from it it is not escapism it's actually realizing that we owe neither the good nor the evil we actually are eternally perfect if that's so why to go on continuing continue with this attributes named good and evil we are beyond that we neither owe the evil we neither owe the so called goodness we are beyond that we go beyond the shackles of this delusion uh, the maya which has been spoken of in vedanta to get established in our real nature so that was the uh, trend of our discussion in the last class so now we will enter into the tesk uh, text to relate to that discussion that how swami ji is bringing that point through his talk the same point and at last he will come to that conclusion that detachment alone is the goal of our spiritual journey whether it's karma yoga whether it's gyana yoga whether it is bhakti yoga whether it is raja yoga whatever it may be the detachment to detach myself from the so called uh, phenomenal existence which is apparent which is not real i am seeing the real me reflected there and take the reflection to be real and that's what creating all the miseries and turmoils in my life once i can detach either by karma yoga or by bhakti yoga or by gyana yoga or by raja yoga or by the combination of all the four of them the more accelerated is our spiritual journey so let us refer to the text and then so we will refer to the text next and then just try to refer to our discussion uh, that which we already had in the last class so, the attached uh, work but let not the action or the thought produce a deep impression on the mind let the ripples come and go let huge actions proceed from the muscles and the brain 
but let them not make any deep impression on the soul. How can this be done? So now Swami Vivekananda is going to uh, cite a particular situation in life of any uh, person it may be. And just to show that how the deep impressions are formed in our mind because of our attachment. We see that the impression of any action to which we attach ourselves remains. I may meet hundreds of persons during the day and among them meet also one whom I love. And when I retire at night, I may try to think of all the faces I saw, but only that face comes before the mind, the face which I met perhaps only for one minute and which I loved. All the others have vanished. So just by this Swamiji is intending to say that what I see is not alone sufficient to create impression in my mind. That how much I am getting impressed by it, how much I am getting attached to it, that entails the deep impression of samskara in my mind. That throughout the day I have met so many peoples. I even don't recall them. Even if I try hard, I cannot recall them. But the one face which I really have not only known, I have loved. And I just see for a very small time. And I find that there's a vivid visualization of it. I can never forget it. So this is the thing Swamiji is indicating that the moment we get attached, that creates a sanskara. Not the world which we are perceiving as such creates any sanskara unless we are attached to it. That's the idea of getting clishta through uh, love, hatred or fear. These are the basic emotions by which we get attached to the thing. It's not only love, even the hatred also creates impression. The fear creates impressions. These are the clashes, the afflictions, which has been spoken of in the yoga, which Swamiji is referring. The moment through all those emotional traits, I get linked to my perception, then only the attachment happens. All the others have vanished. My attachment to this particular person caused a deeper impression on my mind than all the other faces. Physiologically, the impressions have all been the same. Every one of the faces that I saw pictured itself on the retina and the brain took the pictures in and yet there was no similarity of effect upon the mind. Most of the faces perhaps were entirely new faces about which I had never thought before. But that one face of which I got only a glimpse found associations inside. So here comes the question of module. At a particular, particular circumstance, immediately activates a particular module. That in the last class we were discussing, that there are innumerable modules with a fixed stimuli response conditioning in our psyche, in the subconscious mind. A particular circumstance just enables spontaneously, it's not our decision, a particular module to get activated. And that's what Swamiji is also indicating, that I got only a glimpse, found associations inside. Perhaps I had pictured him. So they hear the question comes of that association, that why it is so vivid, because perhaps I pictured him in my mind for years, knew hundreds of things about him. And this one new vision of him awakened hundreds of sleeping memories in my mind. And this one impression having been repeated, perhaps a hundred times more than those of the different faces together will produce a great effect on the mind. So this is in a very simple way, Swamiji is indicating the idea that the modules which we nurture, they have the tendency because we have nurtured every day as we were giving that example, that I have the habit of feeding the birds if a particular bird I feed more, that gets strong and that will not allow the other birds to have the food. When I'm throwing, 
the bird which has got strong, it will simply overpower the other birds and go and grab the food which I'm throwing. So that's what happens with the mental modules. The module which I have pampered, which I have nourished more, that is always ready to spring up at the cost of all other mental modules. And that has happened. So in the mind, that particular thing I have nurtured, I was so attached to it, that when the situation came, that whom I am going to see when I'm passing through the street is not something which I control. It happens. But the thing which I see can really create a tremendous tsunami and upsurge in my psyche if I have already pampered the situation and the circumstances immediately enables, activates that particular module and it finds a tremendous expression in our mind and we have almost no control over it. So that's the thing Swami is saying. That's why attachment. In our scriptures, they speak of sankalpa, that don't take some resolution. Throughout our life, we are taking the resolution. I will have to do this, I have to do that to fulfill the sunset pleasures of mind. And those resolutions are actually pampering the so-called mental modules. And when a particular situation arises, we find that we are totally under the sway of it. Instead of having the capacity to control it, it is they who control us. So there is a story that once a king uh, thought of getting rid of his desires. So now when he was taking his food, uh, the cat, which was its pet, it came to have some food as its usual practice. Now the king, for some reason, was not in a mood to share the food with the cat. So it was trying to remove the cat. But the cat was again and again jumping on the king. And the queen indirectly told, very interesting thing, that you have pampered the cat for such a long time. Is it just going to release you just by one nod of no? No, it's not going to happen. It has been pampered. So if you think that you are going to get rid of the desires just by a single resolution, it's not that easy because we have this, they have been pampered for such a long time. So they take sway over you. So that's why the question of this detachment in the spiritual life comes here. So now Swamiji will go to that, the conclusion that therefore be unattached. Let things work. Let brain centers work work incessantly, but let not a ripple conquer the mind. Work as if you were a stranger in this land, a sojourner, work incessantly, but do not bind yourselves. Bondage is terrible. This world is not our habitation. It is only one of the many stages through which we are passing. So, in the last class also we were discussing that thing, that the example of that nanny and the grandchildren. That nanny is like the, our ego. And the grandchildren who came to spend the holiday with the nanny, they are like the various mental modules. When the nanny is wants, wants to relax, the, all the grandchildren wants to be pampered. They don't allow the nanny to relax. They all want the attention. That's what happens with our mind. So the only way is to be unattached. For some time, that attempt to pamper, for to get pampered, will go on. But when all the grandchildren find that nanny is, nanny is not going to yield to it, now they will gradually dissipate it. They will just leave nanny alone. So that's the thing which uh, is meant by unattachment, totally detached. So it's a matter of patience and perseverance. You have to have patience. You have to persevere. And that's the thing. At last, not only that, we have to get rid of the hub. The hub means the ego of a will. The will is kept intact by the hub and the spokes. The very various spikes, innumerable spikes are there. In our life, sometimes we try to get rid of a particular inordinate attachment. And so sometimes we succeed, 
but in the spiritual sense it doesn't help us much why it doesn't help us much because there are other spikes to keep the will intact when once sri ramakrishna was passing down the bank of the ganges in those days the howrah bridge was not there in calcutta there used to be the floating bridges innumerable boats were floating boats were tied to the uh, bank on both the sides with innumerable ropes to keep them in place and seeing that type of bridge ramakrishna the master of example immediately remarked see if you cut even one rope the bridge is going to stay it's not going to be disturbed in any way there are so many other ropes to keep it intact that's our mind sometimes with all our uh, effort we get rid of a particular attachment but there are so many innumerable desires to keep the mind intact to keep us in the this realm of this uh, senses we cannot get rid of it sometimes we feel to get rid of it but we cannot and what's the way out is there no way out there is a way out if i try to get rid of the spikes one by one it is almost impossible there are innumerable desires not only innumerable desires only a few are manifested many are not even manifested it may manifest in the future i am not aware if i am not aware of them how can i really try to get rid of them so how this is it appears to be a very discouraging situation so the solution is not to get rid of this spikes one by one yes if there is some inordinate desire in the life which is disturbing me as a short term effect i may try to get rid of it through my will power that gives a short term effect but for the long term effect it's not the spikes that i have to remove one by one i have to get rid of the hub the sense of this limited ego that i am this limited psychophysical existence this is the sense of ego this is because of the ignorance the brahman the word brahman means it came from the brih dhatu brihat the one who is beyond the ego barriers who is beyond the time space causation that entity that conscious non dual entity because of its reflection on the psychophysical existence appears to be within the ego boundary within the limitation to go beyond this sense of the ego is the ultimate spiritual endeavor and when through a non detachment either it's by karma or by yoga or by gyana or by bhakti if we can get rid of this petty individual sense, sense of individuality can get rid of it and then the hub of the will has been removed and the entire will collapses at a time and this idea that renunciation happens doesn't happen gradually it happens in one go the moment you are aware of your real nature the ignorance falls off and once the ignorance falls off the entire the all the fabrics with which the mind was kept intact they start just dissolving to lend you free to give you freedom as sri ramakrishna used to say that suppose once girish came and told ramakrishna that i have so much of evil tendencies is there any hope for me and ramakrishna's reply two things he told he told a very interesting suppose there is a huge mountain of cotton as high as the as big as the himalayas as extensive as the himalayas but it is made of cotton and now just a small spark of fire is necessary to engulf to burn out that entire huge mountain in just a, in a few moments you will find so he is saying that the flash of realization is something like that which can burn out all our sanskaras in one go and another example he is giving is very nice that suppose a cave no one has ventured into that cave 
it was dark, pitch dark for thousands, or to say thousands, most probably a million years, billions of years. Yes, there are so, so many these limestone caves. When you go, the guide will say that it's only in the 19th century, some explorer came and entered into the cave and lighted a matchstick. And immediately it was lighted. He was amassed to see the wonderful limestone formations there. And then the tourists have started coming and all those things. So what's the thing? What's the thing we are indicating that cave was dark for millions of years. But when I just go and strike a match, it doesn't take another million years to gradually get rid of the darkness. It goes in a flash. So realization is something like that. We may be having that ignorance, all those sanskaras is binding us, maybe for births together. But when the realization dawns in because of the detachment, in a flash, all those attachments falls off, all those sanskaras impression falls off. So this renunciation happens in one go, the real renunciation. The renunciation which we are practicing that is not the supreme renunciation. It's okay, it's something like a patchwork to get rid of some inordinate attachment which is destroying me, which is uh, the cause of my degradation. I'm trying to get rid of it, but it has a very short-term effect. The real renunciation is the supreme renunciation, the paravairagya, where the, you are totally getting rid of your limited sense of individuality, the ego through your spiritual practices, through the detachment. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna says with a very, with a very funny story. He explains with a very funny story. He says that in a village, one day a man was about to go to the village pond for, his, for taking a dip, for having his bath. So he was just wearing the loincloth and he was having a towel on his shoulder. And he was about to move out from the house when the wife suddenly commented, oh, you are so attached. You cannot live without your family even for a moment. Just see your neighbor, the one who is your neighbor, that man, he has started renouncing. He has started renouncing? The man asked, how? And that this is a very funny story. Ramakrishna is saying that he has 12 wives and he is renouncing them one by one. And now this man, means how realization comes in a flash to explain this Ramakrishna has uh, just uh, uh, told this story that how renunciation comes in a flash. This man immediately got that idea of renunciation. So what he told is very interesting. But he immediately addressed his wife and told, you are silly. You don't know what renunciation is. Can one renounce one by one that way? Do you want to see what renunciation is? Yes, I am living forever, the household. Just saying that he never even came back to pack the immediate necessities of life. Nothing, no arrangement. He was just wearing the loincloth and was having a towel on his shoulder. Just that way, that's how he left the household never to return back again. What a wonderful story. Sometimes when we read this story, we don't realize the import of it. In such a simple word, it has been spoken, but it has a very, very sublime import, which speaks of that in the renunciation, which happens with that ultimate spiritual flash, spiritual realization, which again comes through the detachment. The more we are detached, the more the, we are hammering to that limited sense of ego to get rid of the hub where all the spikes falls off, where all the texture <coughs> which has created this indiv limited individuality that starts falling off to render you free. So now that's why after giving this uh, um, idea, Swamiji is continuing. Work as if you are a stranger in this land, a sojourner, work incessantly but do not bind yourselves. So as for the situation of life, so actions has to be done. We cannot immediately get renounce them, but 
they are not the issue. The issue is our attachment with which we work. The klesha has to be removed. The once my actions become aklishta, and when my knowledge becomes aklishta, when my vrittis become aklishta, I'm not attaching the klesha with them. And you know, there are many, many words are there of which we don't know the meaning. In Sanskrit, there's a wonderful word, kushal, kushala. Many of us will give that name also, that in India you will find that the name is kushal. If you say kushal is what? Means just kushal means good or goodness. But the real meaning of kushal is dagdha klesha is kushal. That one who has burnt off the, all the kleshas, all the afflictions, not allowing them to again come back. The, Dagdha Klesha has been given the exam there to under explain the idea of Dagdha Klesha in the yoga. They have given the idea of seed. A seed may be lying on the terrace for decades. On the terrace of a house is lying there for decades. It appears to be dead. And one day a strong wind blows. This is again an example of Ramakrishna. A strong wind blows and the seed is blown to the ground, to the soil, and immediately germinates. The thing was appearing as something dead, but actually it was not dead. All the sanskaras were there potentially lying within the seed, only waiting for the favorable circumstances to sprout out. So there's, the seed has to be burned. Once you burn it, then there is no question of sprouting. So that's only possible through the detachment. So the detachment, when the seed is burnt out, then there is no question of the glaciers to sprout out again. So that's the dagdha, it has become dagdha. So that's the idea uh, which Swamiji is trying to bring home through all this discussion. The world is not our habitation. It is only one of the many stages through which we are passing. Remember the great saying of the Sankhya, the whole of nature is for the soul, not the soul for the nature. So this is a very important thing that the entire nature is there to educate us. It is carrying us like a mother from our ignorance. And at last, when the ignorance has vanished, we have learned the ways through which I have been deluded the nature has nothing to do with me. I am released now. They release me. So, so, the, so the nature's work is to educate me. So it is not that the way we feel that I am here to enjoy the nature. Actually, the nature is there to educate me. So to bring this idea home, the Swamiji is quoting that Sankha saying, the whole of nature is for the soul, not the soul for the nature. The very reason of nature's existence is for the education of the soul. It has no other meaning. It is there because the soul must have knowledge and through knowledge free itself. If we remember this always, we shall never be attached to nature. We shall know that nature is a book in which we are to read. And that when we have gained the required knowledge, the book is of no more value to us. So this is a very wonderful idea Swamiji is bringing that how nature is like a book. Swamiji in some other places giving some examples to explain that how nature like a book is gradually educating us. That how the nature comes into existence, it's only when we get attached to it because of our ignorance. That as that example, again, we, are, we just resort to that I am that eternal non-dual conscious principle, one with, that's the only existence which is because of ignorance, that we don't know from where it comes. If we knew, then it wouldn't have been ignorance. The term ignorance, that Swami Vivekananda's uh, first lecture on Hinduism, he read a paper on Hinduism, a very famous lecture of Swamiji at the Parliament of Religion, not the first lecture. Uh, he had many sessions. It was in one of the sessions where he had to read the paper on Hinduism. It's in the complete works in the first volume. Before the Karma Yoga, you will find the paper on Hinduism. 
There, Swami Vivekananda is bringing the idea of ignorance in a very nice way. He says that how the perfect, if God is already perfect, he is beyond all needs and wants. What was the need for the creation? We create anything when we have to fulfill certain desire. Otherwise, we don't create. So if God was beyond all uh, so-called needs, all desires, then why he created this universe? And then Swamiji told various philosophies, tries to answer it in various ways, various poetical ways. Vedanta has a very straightforward answer. Very straightforward answer. In that lecture, Swamiji is saying, what's the answer? The answer is, we don't know. As simple as that. That how the perfect became imperfect. We don't know. That's the ignorance. But how we know the perfect has become imperfect? Because yes, from this imperfection, our spiritual journey takes us to the perfection. If something, uh, if this ignorance vanish and we get established, that proves, yes, that's the state from which I came here. But how I came that I don't know. That's why it is called ignorance. So if you ask that how it happened, there is no answer. But as we can go beyond this state and again establish, get established in that perfect state, that shows that we came down from that state. We don't know how. So that ignorance, with the ignorance we came in the bound of the nature. But the nature was not there to take advantage of that ignorance and go on exploiting us. We sometimes feel that nature is exploiting us, but nature is like mother. It is not exploiting. It is taking us through the various experiences at last to render freedom to us. How it happens? For Swami Vivekananda, another example is wonderful. That when, suppose that I want to see my own face. So what will I do? I can see everything, but to see my own face, I need a mirror. So first, I just go to some, say, a pond, which is full of dirt, which is the water is extremely uh, polluted. So I just see a vague outline of me. I'm not satisfied. It's just a vague outline. And then I find some metal surface. I see a better picture, but it's still not very vivid. Then I have some shining metal and then a dusted mirror. And then at last I remove even the dust, the clean mirror is there. I see my face, now I am satisfied. So the nature is just like the mirror. It is taking us through these various experiences, some very poor reflections to the ultimate reflection of that evolved soul that whose chitta has become totally clean, where you can see the perfect reflection of your real nature. And then that renders you freedom. The nature takes us through this various journey of trying to show my own reflection better and better till I see the reflection as it is, as if as it is. And then the nature's purpose is done. I am free. So that's the purpose of the nature. So you will find that you just take a small microbe. The first evolute of life. What it is trying to do? That it is trying to thrive, survive. It finds, it finds what it finds? That a little uh, change in the parameters of the physical conditions annihilates. Little more heat, a little, uh, uh, what you say, the change in temperature, a little uh, change in the atmosphere, lack of water or whatever it may be. Its parameters are very narrow. It dies. But it wants to live. The question is why it wants to live. The eternal soul, for him who that there is no death, it got reflected in that microbe. Now that when it gets reflected, the reflection says you are eternal. But the thing in which it is seeing the reflection is not eternal. But now as it has got identified with the reflection, it wants to see the reflection through eternity. But after some time, the thing on which it is actually being reflected vanishes. Now it sends to see its own reflection, urges to have 
some body where the reflection can be seen for longer time. So what happens? How the evolution has started? Now this small microbe starts this congregating. They start forming a group. They coagulate. There will be division of labor. They say, you do the circulation, I do the digestion, I do the respiration. So that we can cope up with the nature in a much better way. We can really, as if, uh, uh, get rid of the bonds of the labor by trying to, by struggling to get more and more equipped to fight against the nature. That's how the evolution is happening. In a human being, we find the sophisticated system with so much division of labor, so many cells. Each cell is actually an individual unit of life. Each cell. But they have conglomerated and there's a division of labor so that as a whole, they are well equipped to fight with the nature. And this process is going on. Is it going to go on through eternity? No. A time comes that we are constantly fighting. We are fighting in a better way. We have equipped ourselves to fight but in a much more better way uh, to really uh, overcome the nature. But a time comes when we find that why I'm doing this? I'm already perfect. It is my ignorance. It is because of the ignorance that I am the reflection that I'm trying to make the object on which this reflection is happening something more and more permanent. It is the echo of my own self through all these bodies, which was the reason for this evolution. That something was saying, I am eternal, I am beyond death, but I was as if meeting death. That went, that, and that was forcing me to go on, motivating me to go on. Is as a human being, the apex of the evolution, where the evolution is not going to continue in an eternal straight line, the realization comes, it's all futile. I'm already eternal. I somehow mistook the reflection to be my real nature and I was fighting to get that eternal reflection. It's all useless. I'm already free. Now the detachment comes. No more attempt to struggle against the nature to equip me in a better way. The so-called biological evolution stops. The detachment comes. The evolution is not an eternal state line. It's a cyclic process. I started from that perfection. Once I realized that because of the ignorance, I was trying to see the perfection in the reflection, this attempt stops, I go back to my real nature. So that's what the nature is there for. So we shall know that nature is a book in which we have to read and that when we have gained the required knowledge, the book is of no more value to us. Once it is read, you keep it aside. Its work is done. Instead of that, however, we are identifying ourselves with nature. We are thinking that the soul <coughs> is for nature, that the spirit is for the flesh. And as the common saying has it, we think that man lives to it and not it to live. So actually, we eat to live. We not just uh, just to eat, uh, that's not eat to live. This, that, that's, this is a very common adage which we just use. <clears throat> but that's the mistake we are doing. As long as we're in ignorance, we think that to enjoy the nature, that is the nature is the only goal of our life. But actually, it is just the opposite. Nature is there to educate us. It's not there that we are there to enjoy the nature. The nature is there to educate us. So that's the thing Swamiji is trying to bring home. We are continually making this mistake. We are regarding nature as ourselves and are becoming attached to it. <coughs> Sorry. And as soon as this attachment comes, there is a deep impression on the soul which binds us down and makes us work not from freedom, but like slaves.
the whole gist of this teaching is that you should work like a master or not and not as a slave <clears throat> so how to work like a master and not like a slave <clears throat> the slave works out of compulsion master works out of compassion that's the basic difference the slave works out of compulsion he has to as per the orders of the master but if the master comes down and works it is out of compassion you all have studied that story of <clears throat> george washington that the soldiers were trying to <clears throat> move a huge beam they couldn't they needed some more help and the washington who was in disguise he came and helped them so this is the thing there was no compulsion for him to really help out the soldiers he's like the master he's just out of compassion he's coming down to help them so in this life that if we think just to just that when i i every day go for my work and what is the idea i have that i don't like the work the situation there i don't like but i have to continue because i have to sustain my family and sometimes this attitude makes me feel i am as if being enslaved that's why it is in kali yuga this that what this this saying that this is kali yuga is for the shudras whatever may be our caste we have all become shudras how because what in the work situation we find from morning to evening we are as if bound to be enslaved by the situations of life there is no way out then how can i work as a master that's a big question if that's the situation it's actually not the situation which makes us the slave or the master it's the attitude we will just give an example in the life of swami ji to understand that how we can in any situation of life instead of thinking that we have been enslaved we can walk like a master out of compassion not just as a slave how is it possible you know this when swami vivekananda returned from west he was accompanied by goodwin the one who took the shorthand notes of swami ji's lectures swami ji used to deliver extempore speeches it was never prepared it was out of inspiration he used to speak and now his disciples the they started feeling that it's all lost that what the big treasure will be all lost if we don't keep a record of it so they were in search of in those days there were no tape recorders nothing there to record electronically electronically so there there were the there were someone's this profession of shorthand was there in those days who can take shorthand notes of the lectures so they were in search of some stenographer and goodwin came to the picture that way he came as a employed stenographer but while taking the short notes of swamiji's lecture gradually those ideas started changing him and he no more remained just a simple uh, paid worker he himself became a, became a disciple of swami vivekananda and he accompanied swami ji when uh, to india when he, swami vivekananda returned to india and he not only to shorten lectures now he was taking care of swami ji's day to day needs swami ji was sick he will take care take uh, take personal care of him and all were impressed seeing goodwin's dedication devotion for swami ji but somehow one of the in this uh, one from the inner circle discovered that goodwin is still getting some salary still getting and immediately you know that we are always uh, that uh, we always want to censor others we try to find fault with others and immediately there was this rumor was spread that's that all the devotion that you see is after all for the money he gets he is a paid worker salaried person he is not a devotee so this rumor at last 
came to the ears of Goodwin himself. And Goodwin, just what he remarked was something wonderful. He told, yes, it's true. The Swamiji is kind enough to give me some remuneration and I do accept it. I do accept it. But it's not for just for me. I, when I came with Swamiji to India, see, I have a very old mother still in UK. No one is there to take care of her. Just for her sustenance, Swamiji gives me some remuneration and I accept that and I send it to her. But then the next thing he's saying is that, that I do take the remuneration, but let no one think that it is because for that remuneration, I am here to serve Swami Vivekananda. I really love him. The love is from the bottom of my heart. I left everything and came with him just because of that love. And it is out of that love I serve him. Yes, I have to take the remuneration because I have an old mother to take care of. Now just see, it is the attitude which can just speak whether you're the master or the slave. With the change of attitude, the same work, instead of designating you as a slave, can just make you the master of the situation. It is you who have decided to serve the community through the whatever work you are doing. You get a salary for it, but you need not feel that you are a slave, that you are as if tied down by the salary and that's why you're doing the work. There are so many in the society who could have done the same work. You are lucky enough to get it. It's not that you are the most capable person. There are so many capable person to whom the luck haven't favored. They did are not in that situation. So instead of thinking it as just a mere luck, think it as an opportunity. That it is an opportunity for me to be of use to the society. I'm not a mercenary. I don't calculate my, the work which I give with the money which I get. And that way I reduce myself to a, some, a, just an ordinary mercenary. I am fortunate enough to get this work to serve the society as a whole, indirectly or indirectly, whatever work we are doing. At last, it is there to benefit the society. I am doing it for, I've got that opportunity to serve the society. The remuneration which I get is of course needed for my sustenance, but I don't equate with my work. I've got a wonderful opportunity. I pour my heart to it. So give the maximum which I can give to the society back. So the same, they just see, if you still that the person is working from day to night, the same work, but now he need not feel that he's a slave. He's actually giving something to the society. What he's giving cannot be measured by the money which he gets back. It is something great. Yes, he gets something. It is there because after all, he has to sustain himself, sustain his family. He gets that, but he doesn't equate it with that. So just by the change of attitude, what happens now, the selfishness has gone. That yes, for this much of money, I am working. It is for this money, that the result which I'm getting in the form of the salary, my work. There, that entails a selfishness. And when the money is just to sustain me, the thing which I'm giving, I'm giving out of the love of my heart. I'm giving the maximum of uh, skills, my time, everything for it. I don't calculate it with the money. I give because it's an opportunity for me. Many would have been there who would have done the job like me or what most probably would have done better. But I have got the chance. Let me give out of love. So here you will find the mercenary factor has fallen off. You have a respect for yourself. That respect, no one can give it to you. It's only we, that self-respect is the only thing that can really give us the dignity. And that respect you get when the moment you change the attitude. And then you are no more working like a slave. You're working like a master. So work incessantly, but do not do slaves work. Do you not see how everybody works? Nobody can be altogether at rest. 99% of the mankind work like slaves. And the result is misery. It is all selfish work. Work through freedom, work through love. The word love is very difficult to understand. 
love never comes until there is freedom there is no true love possible in the slave so who is the master who is the slave it's not the situation that decides it's the attitude that decides so whether you are working with the attitude of a slave that makes you selfish there is no question of love there and when you are walking like the master with a selflessness the love is flowing out of you to just give out to reach out to the entire society through your labor through your skills so that speaks of the real freedom so now the same work has made you free instead of binding you so there is no true love possible in the slave if you buy a slave and tie him down in chains and make him work for you he will work like a drudge but there will be no love in him so when we ourselves work for the things of the world as slaves there can be no love in us and our work is not true work this is true of work done for relatives and friends and is true of work done for our own selves it's a very vital thing why it's a very vital thing swamiji is saying here what he is saying that when we think of karma yoga what's the idea that i have to do the work without any attachment without any desire for the results immediately it gives us an idea of an automaton something like robot the robot also doesn't desire anything it has been programmed to do work so does karma yoga makes me a robot it is not simply the detachment that's the main idea behind the karma yoga is the idea of relating to another dimension of existence from which that detachment ensues which speaks of karma yoga to give a common example that the example we gave again and again in so many instances that a lady is walking down the street a dog barks she runs next day she is carrying a child with her a lion comes in front she is facing the lion to save the child from where that courage came the one who was scared of the bark of the dog now today she is the mother now here comes the idea of karma yoga will get what that if the mother thinks it is she who is saving the child then a great mistake she will do somehow that expectation will develop in her when the child grows most probably the child will look after me it's a very common thing we sometimes say that the mother's life is selfless but we find that the, to certain extent the expectation grows why because we feel how much pains how much labor i have gone through when bringing up the child should the child not even take care of me this expectation has grown whether it is good or bad i am not saying i am just saying it entails misery if the same thing would have been done with a different attitude that the love the parents love which i have i am helpless even as a mother if i think i won't take care of the child i cannot i have to take care the love within me will force me to take care who has given that love is it my will no god to take care of his creation has implanted that love in the parents in each and every being that compassion i feel for the beggar is it can i get the credit for me no the moment i see someone in misery somehow i find compassion wells up from where it came god has programmed me in such a way that it comes so i am just a channel through which the compassion works the through which the love of god works through which the love of compassion the <coughs> compassion of god works i am not the doer it is not i who am compassionate it is not i who love the child i am just the channel through which the god's love is working now a detachment comes it is not like a robot so now you will understand why swami ji is saying unselfishness is love generally we feel that unselfishness is like robotic that okay now i am working with expectation i am not supposed to work with expectation it's something like robot that wrong idea will come so swami ji is here bringing the idea of love that it is not just detachment that detachment is the expression of your relating to some higher dimension of existence from where it has come sometimes the opposite poles look alike a psychopath is totally detached he doesn't feel any emotion a psychopath is he a karma yogi no a real karma yogi has really related 
to the divine plane of existence, to the divine truth, to the spiritual truth. From that, that same detachment has ensued. It is totally different. Now it is full of love. So that's why you will find that unselfishness goes with love. That's the point Swamiji is trying to bring home again and again. So when we ourselves work for the things of the world as slaves, there can be no love in us. And our work is not true work. This is true of work done for relatives and friends and is true of work done for our own selves. Selfish work is slaves work. And here is the test. Every act of love brings happiness. There is no act of love which does not bring peace and blessedness as its reaction. So if you find this love so-called is bringing pain, know it for certain, it is not love. It is self-love insinuating, expressing itself as love. This is self-love. I love you because by loving you, I feel good. I feel good, that is the main reason. So that is not love. It is infatuation, it is self-love. Very nicely in Chaitanya Bhagavat, uh, in Chaitanya uh, Chaitamrita, very simply in a single couplet, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is defining that what is lust and what is love. Love. A very nice. What is saying? Atma Rati Kama, Krishna Rati Prema. Atma Rati. When the so-called love is actually for the good feeling that I have by expressing that love, it is karma, it is lust. Krishna Rati. When I see the Lord in each and every being and I become the secondary just to serve the one, the Krishna who is sitting in the heart of each and every being, that becomes primary. That is love. Atma Rati Kama, Krishna Rati Prema. So that's the thing Swamiji is bringing home, that every act of love brings happiness. In that case, there is no question of getting anything in return. So today's class, I will just end with another allegory of Swamiji, another Swamiji to explain this, that love always brings happiness in some other place in Bhakti Yoga. <clears throat> He's giving a wonderful example that after the, uh, the chess game, the game of chess <clears throat> in the Mahabharata, where we find the Pandavas has lost everything. The life has really was high, played either the means have deceived them like anything. They were deceived by life like anything. They were in the forest. They were banished in the forest for 14 years. And now one day while traveling, uh, was just passing through the forest, Draupadi was with Yudhishthira. Now Yudhishthira is a very, you know that he's a uh, manifestation of dharma. He's always devoted to God. And seeing his devotion, Draupadi while just walking along with him, Draupadi reacted, remarked, what's this devotion for? What has God done for us? Just see our situation. You are so devoted to God for what? What has he done for us? Yudhishthira's reply was wonderful. They were walking that the forest was on the foothills of the Himalayas. The Himalayas was visible, the majestic Himalayas was visible in, the, in their front. Yudhishthira, instead of giving any direct reply, asked Draupadi, Draupadi, just see the Himalayas. Isn't it? It's wonderful. Doesn't it? Gives us a tremendous joy, happiness, that majestic Himalayas. Well, yes, of course. It's a really wonderful, scenic beauty. This majesty of the this ranges of mountains of the Himalayas. Then Yudhishthira asked a wonderful question. What does Himalaya give us? It's of such a nature to love it is something which we cannot help. It gives nothing in return. If you just go try to go near him, if you try to climb, you, it, you may even die because it's such a hardship you have to go through. It's a big challenge, but we feel tempted. It gives nothing to us. Its nature is love. It is such. So in this life, when you can see the Lord in each and every wing, who is by nature love, then all the challenges which we have to face in the form of repercussions, it means nothing to us. Once we start to see the self in all, that's the only the love is the thing without any sense of revenge that predominates 
that becomes the predominant factor in our life. And then like Jesus, we can pray for the one who are crucifying you. And that's the idea which Swamiji is bringing here, that every act of love brings happiness. If there is no happiness, there is no act of love which does not bring peace and blessedness as its reaction. So with this, we stop our discussion today. We will continue that how that love comes and enables you to love all, irrespective of the reaction which you get, how it happens for the spiritual realization that Swamiji will also take into uh, uh, discussion and we will also discuss that point in the next class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you. Namaskar. Thank you, Swamiji. Namaskar. See you on, Swamiji. Thank you, Swamiji. Thank you, Swamiji. Thank you, Swamiji. Namaskar. 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 Namaskar.